politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter. And that time is right now, today, a very salient day, Friday, November 10th, here at CR Podcast. Your host, Daniel Hurwitz, back here, where it is both Veterans Day and the 85th anniversary of Kristallnacht, the Night of Broken Glass, really kicked off the Holocaust in Germany when a bunch of Hitler youth went and sacked uh, the entire, you know, entirety of the Jewish community is there. And now we have that here again. It's beginning to look a lot like, well, it's almost Christmas, but it is also beginning to look a lot like 1939 here again. We have Veterans Day, so we don't we don't have a crystal knocked. We have a Veterans Day. We have veterans, we have a military. So that we have a country governed by ordered liberty, constitutional freedoms for peaceful people while keeping out dangerous people. That's why we have a government and we have a military to keep out those external forces, but provided that they're fighting for something worth keeping here at home. And yet here we've come full circle where we have anarcho-tyranny, our own government hunting down people who walked into the Capitol two and a half years ago, while we have masses of Hamas animals we let into this country and then others that were convinced to go along with it, rampaging the streets. And now we're all in danger. It's not just Jews, but we're all in danger. And then we have our soldiers flung out precariously as sitting ducks, still in Iraq and Syria, getting injured for nothing. Folks, you're going to have lip service paid to veterans by all sorts of politicians. But if you're in a position of power and you are not advocating to bring them home and put them on our border, then you are not in support of our troops. So I want to develop this thought a little bit, the time we live in the anarcho-tyranny, and then give a little bit of a State of the Union on the Second Amendment, where it stands, how we've really gained a lot of momentum on the policy front, but how it's not enough if we don't take it to the next level and with us is going to be none other than Eric Pratt of Gun Owners of America. Who better to discuss this through the prism of the Israel-Hamas attack uh, and then now the global intifada. This is this is all of our problems. Again, I don't mean in the sense that we need to be over there, just the opposite. We need to not be over there and deal with the problem here in our cities and our communities, defend ourselves from it. So we're going to get a little bit of a perspective from him First, our sponsor very appropriately today is Patriot Academy. It's not just enough to own firearms or carry them. You have to train and be prepared now more than ever. Um, you know, you're watching what's going on in Europe and elsewhere where people are completely disarmed, where you have these raging Islamist animals just running the streets. And as we talked about yesterday, in some respects, worse than the Middle East because they export their worst here. Now is the time to get trained. I will be at Patriot Academy's December 18th four-day program. It is everything you need to know how to draw from a holster, win a gunfight. It, it, it works for – it's an amazing course that someone who never picked up a firearm and someone who's very proficient could both come away learning a tremendous amount, getting better at it. You'll meet myself. You'll meet other people in this audience. And right now, if you go to patriotacademy.com slash Daniel, it's a buy one, get one free. So to begin with, it's a $2,000 course discounted for just, just cost $400. Obviously, you do have to pay for the cost of the ammo and the equipment you got to bring. They have a checklist, what you're going to need for the course if you don't already have it. But then you get to bring a family member, a friend, anyone, absolutely free. I really look forward to seeing you there, December 18th, patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. So, folks, couple things here. Number one, I saw Fox News is reporting that the casualty count among our soldiers in Iraq is now up to 56. And they're reporting, as I suspected, because the government always covers this up, 
the injuries weren't quite as light as initially reported. So who knows how bad they are? That's 56 people. 20 years later, we're still in Iraq, still in Syria, for reasons only Allah could understand. On this Veterans Day, we need to resolve from a policy standpoint that we must never allow our men to be sent overseas without a clearly defined mission and a mission that is in our national interest that's clearly defined and that once they're there, their lives come first and we use our superior firepower to ensure that they are behind defensive perimeters and they are always striking and maneuvering the minimum amount of exposure needed to achieve the mission, and they're out. That they're not flung out there precariously on these random bases as sitting ducks to all the technology that the terrorists have while we're protecting the Shiites from the the Sunni insurgency. Let Allah sort out the Sunni-Shiite civil war. Let the Iranian Shiites bleed a little bit from that Sunni insurgency. Bring them home and put them on our border. I mean, it's truly salient when you look at uh, the sacrifices that the Israelis are making for their country. There they have a mandatory draft. Here, we have people, a lot of people in this audience, people my age, a little older, that signed up after 9-11 because they thought that we would crush the Islamic enemies. And instead, we let our soldiers die on the sword of Islam on behalf of Islam in pursuit of Islamic urban renewal projects and refereeing two sides, five sides of Islamic civil wars. No one signed up for that. But it's all voluntary. It's unbelievable. People that, that, that put it all out, they didn't have to serve. It's not like Israel where, you know, your, your country's about to be destroyed, you all, it's all hands on deck. Here it's a slower bleed, more subtle civilization jihad. But people signed up and we owe it to them to end this cycle of dying on the sword of Islam. Let the other SOB die for his country, as Patton said. Our soldiers come first. There should never... with the, we, we, we spend almost a trillion dollars on the military every year, what no other nation does. At a minimum, it should get us the weaponry and technology... That we shouldn't be suffering this. And if, and, and if the weaponry and technology can't handle the operation, then by definition we shouldn't be doing it because by definition that's nation building. That's not deterring breaking things and killing people that need to be killed at the time and place they need to be killed and done. Anything else, by definition, we shouldn't be doing that won't work anyway, especially in that part of the world. So I'm just sick of hearing the vapid thing, oh, we thank our military, this and that. No, you don't. And then there's the other half of it. As uh, Calvin Coolidge said, he, he said this at the end of his speech, this was on Memorial Day, then called Decoration Day at Arlington Cemetery, 1928. And he talked about the fact that the celebration of our military is the fact that we have a constitutional republic here at home that you're fighting for. But instead, not only are they fighting for Islam there, they're fighting for Islam and paganism, the the lowest common denominator of the two, here at home. The anarcho-tyranny, that we have a government that doesn't respect our liberties and respects criminal liberties, illegal alien liberties, Hamas liberties, Muslim Brotherhood liberties, a country where it's not just a broken social compact, but a one that is contorted perfectly 180 degrees upside down, inside out. And very appropriately for the focus today, you know, again, you could own guns, you could carry guns, but increasingly, you might have, see, we're forgetting, we talk about the right to bear arms, the Second Amendment, but we forget that it's not about a a firearm, a rifle, a gun as an end to itself. That's a means to achieve the end of the right of self-defense. And you don't have a right to self-defense if you are not of the right ilk. Some of you might have seen this story 
in Queens, New York City, John wrote R-O-T-E 43, he has been arrested. Well, they, they arrest people in New York? Well, no, not only that, he's actually being held on 10,000 bail. Well, who in New York is ever held on bail these days? You see these violent animals with 100 priors that get let out overnight. Well, I'll tell you who's arrested. In New York, you're arrested for self-defense of yourself or others. Basically, he was witnessing this 49-year-old homeless guy who was violent as anything, attacking a woman and trying to rob her on, you guessed it, a subway. And he fired a warning shot. Now, let, you know, the media is busy trying to bash the guy. Let, let, let's just agree to the premise, their fact pattern in the case, which we don't know yet, but let's just agree worst case scenario. The guy was careless in doing it, didn't know how to shoot straight, they say. He didn't know how to handle a firearm, negligently, you know, uh, negligently using it. Okay, fine. But clearly, the situation prima facie was he wasn't just having fun. There was a there was a clear attack on a woman, and that guy had just had a, a robbery he committed and was let out without bail. So what happened was that guy with endless priors and, and the homeless are really those are the people that it's not targeted. They randomly will just grab and beat the pulp out of anyone on a subway. So that's the ultimate case where you need to hold someone on bail. They're the ultimate threat, and they let the guy out even now without any bail. But then th this guy, the Good Samaritan, even if you buy all their narrative, they arrested him, and they're holding him. The um, the the lawyer said he couldn't afford more than 2000 And instead, they make it 10000 cash, despite the fact that he has never had any priors, clean record. And by the way, he's from West Virginia. Very sad. I don't know why he was in New York, but he found himself in Gaza. And that's America, my friends. That story, again, I don't care. Everyone's going to say, well, you, you can't sit and focus on, did, every, did the guy do everything exactly right? It's, it's the same thing with like January 6th, where a guy technically did trespassing of a public building Oh, and then you hold him pre-trial for two years. Well, technically he might have done something wrong, but once you do that to him, the punishment is more the issue than the crime. And it's a similar thing here. And then the juxtaposition, so you think, man, New York's really strict. You do that, you get 10,000. Okay, well, this guy that has all the priors and tried to rob the woman, he'll be held without bail. No, he's let out with nothing. That is what we're facing. Now, you might think, well, Daniel, that's limited to blue cities, but, I mean, we're having it, at least in, in, in red state blue cities as well, like Houston and Austin, we got a big problem. We got a big problem here. Because increasingly, we're going to have to defend ourselves. Let's say that guy wasn't good at it. I mean, they show his grip and stance. All right, I mean, that's why you got to go to Patriot Academy and get proper training. But... You know, that, that, that's, I mean, that's no excuse. So we need to fight for our right to Second Amendment, but also on self-defense. We're going to have a big problem. And I want to get to that also. Just uh, one more public service announcement. Um, we've been talking about The Blind, a Phil Robertson story, a documentary on our very own, our colleague Phil Robertson, the man, the legend. It's a story of redemption that's really has a lot of value um, how he turned to God, the trials and triumphs of his life, um, very salient, and uh, it's it's up for nineteen ninety nine, so just under twenty bucks. BlazeTV.com slash the blind. Um, it's just at, at a time like now, it's just very inspiring. Uh, you know, I I have it up on my computer now. I was going to watch it today, so don't miss the opportunity to support one of our own, the blind, the Phil Robertson story. BlazeTV.com slash the blind. So while this is all going on, under this backdrop, we have in Melbourne, on the 85th anniversary of Kristallnacht, and, and I warned you, I said this is going to happen around the world. So you have these demonstrations that turn pretty violent, they rampage around, okay, that's one level. But the next level, and this is what the BLM Antifa 2.0, which is the Muslim Brotherhood Hamas, this is what they're going to do. They're going to start going not just down like kind of the inner city or, or downtown streets. They're going to go to the neighborhoods. 
and they targeted, I'm not familiar with Melbourne, but evidently there's an area in Melbourne that's predominantly Jewish or has a lot of Jewish people living there, and they specifically targeted and started rampaging belligerently and attacking physically. Attack, I mean, well beyond... See, say what you want about the neo-Nazis and the famous Supreme Court case in Skokie, Illinois, you know, where they marched in the Jewish community. It's in extremely insidious, but they're always very careful in what they do not to cross the line. And again, they're evil, they're terrible, but it is protected in America by First Amendment, and we want to keep it that way. But but this this is not protected by the First Amendment. If you watch what they're doing, they are laying hands on people, and... Uh, this is what it's about. Now, in Melbourne, as you well know, I, I mean, I did not see any pictures of Jews, you know, carrying rifles. And I don't know under what circumstances you can, if it's like nothing or very limited, but it's really bad there. And that's what Jews in Australia, in Canada, in Europe are facing. It's really ultimately what everyone's facing. Jews are the first targets, but ultimately... They're against everyone in their host countries, these animalistic immigrants that bite the hand that feeds them. But now in America, it's starting to get that way. It wasn't quite the Melbourne thing, but that you know it did happen to a certain degree in Brooklyn, New York, where they went to Jewish areas and started doing this stuff. Now here we do have guns. But what, what would happen if in order to feel safe in a Jewish neighborhood, a bunch of people started open carrying their ARs. Do you think the pol the police and the government's going to back them? Back the blue, back the blue. I don't know. And th that that's really where we need to take the second amendment to the next level. And by the way, this is everywhere. There are now stories of Jews being beaten everywhere. Crystal knock 2.0 along with BLM Antifa 2.0. Again, the, the Biden administration is supporting... Can you imagine this? They're saying Islamophobia is the problem. Everything's the, the exact opposite. We need to be throwing the bastards out of our country here and leaving Israel to do what they need to do over there. Instead, they're now forcing a ceasefire on them, dictating the hell out of who's going to control Gaza, Putting our troops in harm's way in Syria and Iraq for reasons only Allah and the 70, 72 virgins of all the Biden administration officials that they subscribe to believe in. And then over here supporting that. And the opposite needs to happen. Leave Israel the hell alone. Pull our troops the hell out of the Middle East. Put them on our border. And throw these Islamic animals the hell out of our country. Next week I'm going to be talking to... Attorney General Ashley Moody, the Florida Attorney General, she wrote a letter to the Biden administration demanding that any student visa holder who is supporting Hamas get thrown out of the country. Now, I think states need to start doing this on their own. The courts are going to go after them. And this is why we need a knockdown, drag out fight just a week from today. We're going to have the budget deadline. I'll get back to that a little bit more next week. We'll cover that, what's going on in Congress. No funding UNRWA, no funding Hamas, no funding Lebanese Armed Forces, no funding the Palestinian Authority. Is it that hard to like not fund the worst evil? I don't know if you've seen some of the videos of the Hamas, the, the Palestine, the Gazan Palestinian kindergarten graduations, how they simulate, um, you know, they dress up the six-year-old boys as uh as commandos going to kidnap Jews. This is funded, by the way, with our taxpayer funded funding of UNRWA, which is 25% U.S. funded. The, all those schools are funded by UNRWA, the U.N. organization there that we funded for, for decades. But in addition, we need immigration provisions. The number one thing we should fight for is states have the right to deport. And when I say the right to deport, not just illegal immigrants, but people that have not yet, but even ones that came initially legally and maybe still are legally, that have not been naturalized and are not here in good character and good standing and do not maintain allegiance to our country. That needs to be done in our states. Because frankly, we are 
immigrants in blue states. Okay, in blue states, we have no rights anyway. So it's not like, oh, well, they'll retaliate. They'll, they'll get rid of what? Good immigrants. First of all, there's very few let in now. And the few we saw, we saw that German homeschooling family. The Biden administration will deport them anyway. So I'm not worried about retaliation. It, it is what it is. This is war. We need to throw them out. But then we need to understand how do we utilize the Second Amendment in the time we live in. And with that, I want to get to our special guest. So, folks, you know, in the context of everything we're talking about today, I'm thinking about the hopelessness on almost every policy, how in our lifetime we have slid backwards, whether it's fiscal, social, national security, border, demographics, debt. It's all bad. The one issue where you genuinely see a positive trajectory is guns, because it's the one thing that we have organized uh, you know, or at an organizational level, political level, in, in the societal level as well, an organized group of people that do not compromise, that we don't start letting the camel's nose under the tent and we stuff it in the hole. Now, you had the previous generations where we passed some bad laws we need to repeal, but genuinely we're seeing in this past generation, and thanks to our next guest, We've really made a lot of strides, and it's it's good. And I want to explore how do we build upon that because on the one hand, it's good news, but on the other hand, as I've noted very often, we have more guns than ever, but we have more anarchy and more tyranny than we've ever had as well. So how do we take that to the next level of fulfilling the end goal of the Second Amendment as our founders foresaw it in the times we live in when we indeed do have this asymmetry between the weapons of war that our government uses and what's available to us, but also the sort of ubiquitous anarchy we have. You didn't have in the 17, uh, you know, 70s, 1780s, 1790s, you barely had individual violent criminals. You certainly didn't have rampaging, uh, you know, Hamas people all over your communities, Antifa, BLM. So how do we give the Second Amendment a facelift in terms of what we're fighting for, build upon the successes, but making it meaningful as a force for self-defense and potentially a bulwark against tyranny? So I want to kind of give a state of the union of where things stand on Second Amendment, all things Second Amendment, and with us to dissect that is really the best person to do it, my dear friend Eric Pratt, president of Gun Owners of America, the, the foremost uh, gun rights organization in America. Eric, it's been way too long. Really looking forward to this. Yeah, it's great to be back with you, Daniel. Uh, thank you so much for all you're doing. You're uh, an important voice uh, getting truth out there. So uh, thank you for all that you do, brother. Yep. So there's a lot, a lot to cover, and I, I fear we're not going to have time, but we'll we'll dive right into it. Um Let's start in Israel and then branch back to, to right here at home what we can do. You, you're, your organization, I've seen a lot of interviews with some people in Gun Owners of America. You've had a lot of observations about Israeli gun laws and you know the context of a nightmare scenario, how you have an organized terrorist organization able to come in, slaughter 1,400 people. Talk about what Israel had in terms of gun laws leading up to the massacre on October 7th and what they've done since then and the lessons we can learn from that. Sure. Well, I, I think for starters, it's important to know Israel doesn't have anything like a Second Amendment, um, even to the point where citizens are armed. Uh, it's not as a matter of right. It comes by government permission. And that's always a real problem. Uh, so, you know, I, I think in, in years past, uh, Israelis have been very good at, at stopping terrorists in their tracks uh, where they've been uh, carrying firearms on their person. And it seems that now in recent years, they've gotten a little bit lax uh, on that. And in fact, uh, the government had even been uh, taking firearms, uh, specifically long guns, away from uh, civilians, uh, they were uh, just lim and, and still they were just limited to one pistol. Now, prior to the Hamas attacks of October 7th, they, if they were able to have a pistol, they were limited to 50 rounds. Since 
Wow. Then the government has upped it to a hundred rounds. <laughs> you know, Daniel, for you and me, we'd be thinking, you know, that that's like uh, an hour at the range. I mean, come on. Less, that last you hour know? I did uh, two days ago with my new CZP-10F, it was with 300 rounds. So they, they not only regulate firearms, they regulate ammunition. So it's worse than even the worst blue state in America. A lot of people see, you know, the people with the rifles, but that's kind of special with Judea and Samaria. Outside of that, they don't have that. So even though these guys were right within one to three miles of Gaza, they were governed by a very different set of laws. And I think it's salient what you're saying because, you know, a lot of people, you know, who took the never again mantra to heart in the proper way, not what the left has hijacked, said, look, you know, you can't have Jews and everyone, but certainly Jews defenseless again. So you have have what happened again, it's 85th anniversary of Kristallnacht. And Israel, in many respects, was the antidote to that in terms of their military, and the world doesn't seem to like that, that, you know, unlike in the 1940s, they don't get massacred and then get massacred again. They come in and they're killing Hamas in Gaza, but, you know, okay, that's the IDF, but what about the civilians? That's not okay to disarm your civilians. Um, so are you seeing any any change in 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 what's going on there from what you're following well in, in a practical sense yes in a principled sense no so they still haven't uh gone to a uh you know self-defense and the right to keep and bear arms is a god-given right that mm. can't be infringed from the government they still have a view of uh, you might call it a good cause view. remember with with the bruin case here in the united states yep. Supreme Court struck down that good cause requirement that New York was imposing on its civilians. And a lot of blue states were saying, you have to prove to us that you really have a good reason to carry. Well, that's, Israel is still doing that. So even though they've liberalized uh, their the, the way they're handling uh, the giving out of firearms, they're not just generally giving them out or, or allowing people to get them everywhere. It's only if you're in certain parts that the quote unquote hot spots or, or the danger zones. So they, they still have that that sort of good cause mentality, which really goes with a privilege type system as opposed to a system where this is a God-given right. It's a natural human right. So uh, th there are some improvements, practically speaking. Mm. Uh, but, you know, really the, the, the whole, uh, you know, th they, they really need a whole new sense of thinking on this if they're going to proceed forward uh, in the years to come. No, that's, that, that's a really terrific point. Uh, because right now it does appear in some places they're handing out rifles liberally. The Biden administration is going crazy about that, trying to uh, run, you know, they run everything in Israel. They want to control everything they do. So now they want to impose gun control there. But again, that's still at the discretion of government, and it's always got to be enshrined as a right. And and folks, uh, you know, very appropriately, this interview is sponsored by our friends at Barrel Buddy. It is your right to own and it is your right to keep your guns dirty, but I don't recommend it. Uh, don't be lazy. Clean your guns. The best way to do it is BarrelBuddy.com. Listeners to this program, by the way, three patriots in Michigan, they don't get enough credit in the firearms industry. Rather than using the drip and splatter-prone uh, little fibrous patches that get lint and everything and they get cut up, they have these cartridges, terrific, terrific uh, 360 degree contact with your barrel buffs it clean and then you could use it to scrub the other metallic parts of the of the gun as well and then use another cartridge for uh, just you know a fine layer of lube and you're good to go it's the cleanest cheapest most efficient way 15 bucks for a, a packet of 50 of these and that will last you at least an entire year of cleaning barrelbuddy.com today pick one up a pair and a spare so, Eric, um, let's move this back to the United States. So there's a lot going on, and, and it's really because of organizations like Gun Owners of America that you, you don't you don't see it an inch, and you don't worry about, like, well, as long as they're not wholesale grabbing guns, we'll allow them to go after accessories. Well, who cares? Bump stocks, pistol braces. No, you got to stuff it in the hole, and that's what you guys have been doing. Could you give us a little bit of an update a uh, synopsis of where things stand in the courts on some of the Biden. Oh, and 
trump um executive orders from the atf well the good news is is that we are winning in the courts uh we're challenging president trump's uh ban on bump stocks and we got uh, a favorable ruling in the fifth circuit so that's the the texas area and because there was a split decision in the courts now the supreme court is going to be hearing this uh, with Biden, we've had uh, limitations on pistol-braced firearms. Uh, you know, if, if anybody who's been following that knows that they basically, uh, you know, they are banned, practically speaking. You have to convert them over uh, to a short-barreled rifle, and there's a whole process with that, including registration. Yeah, and I want to get to uh, that later. So, so that, that affects 40 million firearms. That's uh, horrendous. But uh, there again, in the Fifth Circuit, they've been ruling consistently against that. And so that has been uh, struck down for now. Uh, I can see that eventually making it to the Supreme Court. Uh, the, the frame and receiver uh, ban, basically, uh, uh, which, uh, you know, otherwise known as the quote unquote ghost gun uh, ban, which is really a ban uh, or limitation on making firearms uh, in your home and, you know, using, uh, you know, buying parts uh, as a collective aggregate uh, to, to make firearms. Uh, that's really what, what was being covered here, which uh, that, that has also been uh, struck down in the Fifth Circuit. So uh, we've got a, a lot of good things that are happening in the courts. And, you know, so we're very excited about that. The downside of that, of course, is that that means that uh, not, not only gun owners of America, but the other groups that are fighting this, we're having to spend a lot of money in court yes. to protect our rights from this gun grabbing president who isn't even submitting these ideas to Congress. He's just making an end around Congress and just issuing edicts as if they were the force of law. So while we're excited that we're winning, uh, it, it is coming at a huge cost. Where could people help either to talk about to become a member or to donate? Um, you're one of the few organizations that I actually believe in that the results show in the wake of your presence. Well, the best way, uh, and, and I appreciate that, Daniel, is just you know, go into our website at gunowners.org. Uh, I encourage people to, to sign up. Uh, you can become a member there uh, for a year for $25. That's less than a box of most ammunition, uh, especially now under Bidenomics. Uh, <laughs> but uh, even more importantly, I would encourage people to sign up for our free email alerts, whether or not you become a member, uh, because that's been really important at uh, you know, not only defeating a lot of the gun control that Congress is trying to pass, uh, but also, uh, you know, right now we're in the middle, for example, of a comment period against universal uh, gun registration, where the Biden administration wants every single gun sale, even private gun sale, to go through a background check to have a 4473 form. And one of the things that we've seen is we generate, as we encourage people to submit comments to the ATF, uh, we have gotten the ATF to backtrack. Uh, probably the, the most pronounced example of that was under Obama when they tried to issue, when the ATF tried to issue a ban on green tip ammunition, uh, we were able to back them off. And again, that was just by submitting tens uh, upon tens of thousands of gun owners commenting against it. So it really does make a difference. And uh, so people, can, by the way, can go to our website. At the top of our website, you can take action by sending uh, your comments, and we give you a pre-written letter. Send your comments to the ATF. We're trying to uh, get uh, up to 65,000 comments, which will be uh, the most comments submitted to the ATF under the Biden administration. So uh, anyway, uh, we've we've only got about another month for the comment period to be open. So if people go to gunowners.org, they can easily take action on that, Daniel. Yeah, and that's what it is. It's a game of of legal catch me if you can. Uh, they know it's illegal, but they do it because they, they want to bankrupt us in fighting it. And it's kind of emblematic of what they're doing to gun owners, that they want to just make everything very expensive. And it is expensive. And, you know, there's inflation across the board now. So it's just extremely prohibitive. Uh, to to own and then any way you want to get around you build your own gun maybe you could do it for cheaper and, and buy the buy the parts you know uh, get the best deals in each part oh no you know we're going to come after you on that 
And and that's what it is. Like here in the, in the blue states, it's not just that they want to screw with you. They also ban a lot of the budget options for ARs and and that's that's kind of the game here to make it only a wealthy man's uh a sport and and self-defense there's also another one i saw this forced reset trigger rule are, are they basically banning the aftermarket triggers you know that we try to make the triggers smoother and a shorter pull better reset i mean what what happens under that and are you guys fighting that they are trying to ban that, and they're basically uh, trying to claim that it uh, those type of triggers turn your firearm into a machine gun, which is totally in defiance of what the law says, because the law says a machine gun is a weapon that you pull the trigger back and hold it back, uh, and it, it will continue firing until you release the, the, the trigger. I mean, that's kind of a layman's term of or description of what a machine gun is but with forced red uh, forced reset triggers uh you know or even bump stocks and things like that the, the trigger is actually moving with each shot that's fired so it truly still is a semi-automatic firearm but this is the definitional game that the administration yep. and the anti-gun left is playing is they're trying to change definitions so that they can capture more firearms or more gun parts and ban them. Although I would say this sure sounds like a bastard child of the bump stock, uh, you know, rule that from the previous administration really broke the ice on redefining what a machine gun is. And, you know, this is I, I think this is a great lesson. I'm glad you brought this point up because. You know, it's kind of like first they come for the Jews type of thing. Well, first they come for the bump stocks. And it was like, on, in all honesty, after that Vegas shooting, I mean, think about it. After all the craziness of what that was and wasn't and what we don't know, they made it about freaking bump stocks. But I honestly never heard of a bump stock before then. I really didn't. And I think a lot of people didn't either. And they're like, oh, okay, you know, who cares? But that's what it is. You allow them to redefine definitions. Now they come further and they come for all, you know, you know, very efficient triggers that a lot of people like to put in. And then they'll come for, you know, regular triggers and they'll say, you know, these, you know, kind of the the good striker fires out of the box or the 1911s. Well, that, that's also too much of a machine gun. You know, you have to have the creep and the crunch and, uh, and a bad trigger for it to work. Uh, you, you know, you're allowed to have a gun, but it has to be expensive and not work properly. So again, that's why you got to staunch it, you know, no compromise, and 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 that's what you guys, unlike certain, some other organizations, have always been doing. Um, could you speak towards? And I know some people will say, "Well, Daniel, move out of blue states," and you know, I want to, but some of the blue state stuff. Um, so I don't understand how after Heller and Bruin, how is it that we're years into this and they can get away? with banning anything more than a 10-capacity magazine when every single gun and rifle is not made that way. I mean, you got to go to subcompact for that. How does that meet the litmus test of Heller, um, given that it's every common thing on the market is more than 10 rounds? It doesn't, yeah, it, it's uh, totally uh, inappropriate. And uh, what we're seeing is, you know, it, it's really akin to what happened when the Supreme Court back in the 50s with Brown versus Board of Education said no more segregation of schools. And yet you still saw that mm. in some states, particularly in the South, for about another 10 years or so, they resisted what the Supreme Court said. Uh, it is the same type of thing. Uh, and interestingly, it's the same party, primarily the Democrat Party, which is resisting um, uh, people's rights. And uh, so you, you see states like New York and Hawaii and California and Oregon and Illinois that are trying to still pass restrictions, even though the Supreme Court has said, look, uh, you've got to look at the text of the Second Amendment. And if you can't find any type of a historical analog, in other words, a law around the time of the Second Amendment that would show that it was consistent with the Second Amendment, uh, some kind of restriction that was consistent with the Second Amendment, then it, it's an invalid law. And of course, you're not going to find any because what they wrote in the Second Amendment was, shall not be infringed. I mean, that means no waiting periods, no background checks, no gun bans, 
no yeah. restrictions. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, except for violent people who forfeit their rights, and, and they did have the doctrine of forfeiture of rights. That's why they would even put people to death uh, around the, the time of the founding, because you could commit an act so egregious that you forfeited your rights. But outside of forfeiting your rights, if you're a law-abiding person, shall not be infringed applies to you. So do we have any irons in the fire in some of these circuits on things like the magazine capacity banning all these common ARs as, as you know, wrongly defined assault weapons, um, as, you know, the seven-day waiting periods. You know, I think of a lot of these kind of, you know, picture a 21-year-old uh, uh, college girl, a Jewish student now that fears for her life. Well, you got the whole school ban, and that's a whole other thing. But I'm saying in general, all these people, you know, there's a lot of Jews that maybe never owned firearms um, and now want to get it. And you have, like in my state, for example, you now have to get a license just to be able to own, not even carry. And then that could take a few months of a process. I mean, all this stuff. Do you have any irons in the fire on all these blue state restrictions that are close to getting to the Supreme Court? Yes, we do. And just one quick comment, you know, on this whole waiting period concept. You know, the whole idea of a waiting period was, you know, we need the time to investigate you and make sure you're worthy of uh, and safe enough to handle a firearm. And yet what we've seen is that it costs lives. And, and a classic example of that is Carol Bound uh, of New Jersey uh, years ago wanted to get a a firearm because her ex was threatening her. She got a, a restraining order against them, but she figured, you know, a piece of paper isn't really going to stop them. Well, in New Jersey, they take weeks and weeks and weeks, if not months, to investigate you before you can even get your permission to purchase a firearm. And so as she is waiting, she was several weeks into her wait when her ex shows up on at, at, at her home and kills her in the driveway. And interestingly, he didn't do it with a gun. He did it with a knife. I mean, he didn't need a gun to do it. This is the danger of waiting periods. It puts your rights on hold. And so, yeah, we are fighting uh, when it comes to waiting periods, for example. Uh, the, the, the president uh, has imposed a waiting period. He started with 18 to 20 year olds. If you're an 18 to 20 year old and you're purchasing a long gun, automatically uh, you're going through a waiting period. And so we are fighting that in federal court. Uh, you know, we're, we're fighting that as unconstitutional. We're fighting magazine bans. Uh, an example of that would be uh, we're fighting California's magazine ban. We're fighting so-called assault weapon bans, which, you know, we're, we're not even talking about machine guns. We're talking about semi-automatic firearms. Uh, many of them have, uh, you know, the black plastic or polymer exterior, uh, but a lot of them don't. Uh, and yet here's the word game that the left plays. They call them assault weapons. Well, why aren't they defense weapons? Because people actually use these guns for defense, and yet governments like uh, Illinois or Oregon or Delaware and others are trying to ban them. And in all those three states that I just mentioned, we have either cases or amicus briefs uh, where we are fighting those bans. Of course, we're fighting the so-called assault weapon ban that, especially in the aftermath of the main shooting, uh, it's rearing its ugly head again in the Congress. And so we're fighting it there. By the way, a word on that. Like the main shooting, as with most mass rampage killings, guess where they occur? They occur in gun-free zones where good people are not allowed to carry a firearm. So most people uh, or many people don't because they don't want to be in violation of the law. But do you think bad guys care? In fact, no, they prefer. That's why we see statistically 94 percent of mass shootings, public mass shootings, occur in these gun-free zones. Isn't it interesting? They don't go shoot up gun shows or police stations. No, they go to the places where they're going to be the only one with a gun, because while they may be evil, they're not stupid. Right, Daniel? I mean, you know, so they want to be the one in control, yep. the only yep. one with a gun. And the only way to change that equation is to encourage good people uh, to carry firearms. And you don't do that by posting a sign that says no guns allowed. 
So that's the state of play of kind of where we've been and where things are, the status quo that we're fighting for. But I want to take this to the next level, Eric, that, yeah, you know, we have more guns than we've ever had, more people carrying for sure in the firearms industry is catering to that. And even in blue states, we now have the Bruin decision. And so I carry even in Maryland, never, you know, it's never off of me. And that's great. But in some respects, isn't Joe Biden right when he says, Haha, you think you got parity with the government. Uh, You know, that was back in the 1700s, but now you don't have planes, you don't have tanks, you don't have what the FBI has, which is greater than what any army, standing army that our founders envisioned. So, and and that's the tyranny side. And then there's the anarchy side that, you know, we we always focus on the ones and the twos, uh, you know, the guy that comes into a crowd, the the, the mentally ill, crazy, the psychopath, or, or a home burglar. But what about this dynamic that played out in Israel and now you're seeing the civilization jihad elsewhere where you'll have roving bands of Islamic nutcases. So, you know, you need you need better stuff. Um, do we have any ability to move the Overton window on politics, on things like the National Far- Firearms Act, the 1968 you know Gun Control Act, the 1986 Hughes Amendment? Um, you know, all the, the regulation of SBRs, the short-barreled bar- rifles that you mentioned before that are really very much needed when you have this sort of BLM, uh, you know, mass assault on a community, uh, very versatile that SBR, th- these weapons, you actually do need them. Is there any path to taking it to that level, and how, how would we go about doing that? Yeah, there, there's kind of a hypocrisy when the president says, uh, oh, you don't have the types of firearms that would help protect you against the, the types of guns that I have. But then he's trying to restrict the types of guns that Americans would like to have uh, to protect themselves either against a tyrannical government or an invasion force like what, what Israel saw. You know, just to really recap where we've come from and where we're at now, Daniel, uh, when our country was founded, Immediately, they passed the Militia Act of 1792. So every male between 18 and 54 was required to own a military-style firearm. Now, mm. that's stark. Uh, so and that's not an AR-15 in, in today's terms, by the way. Not, that would be. That's right. In today's terms, an AR-15 an M, or an M-16, that would be the, the equivalent today. Now, even by World War II, we still had a pretty firm reliance on our, our militia system. I mean, at the start of World War II, we had the 17th largest army in the world. Think about that. We weren't even in the top 15. The Romanian army had a bigger army than we, di- we did. And the reason was, was because we considered that if we were ever attacked, our first initial response mm. was, the militia. Even President Teddy Roosevelt was a huge backer of the militia here in this country, and he frequently praised the Swiss system uh, where they have universal conscription. By the way, think about that for a second. Every country that bordered Germany uh, during World War II was attacked uh, by Hitler, except for one, Mm. and that was Switzerland. He did want to attack them, but his generals urged him and finally convinced him not to because their argument was we're going to be facing a rifle behind every tree. So that's the beauty that, that an armed populace does serve as a deterrent. Now, sadly, what happens is that people get kind of taught, you know, we were talking earlier about how I I think they've gotten, they had gotten lax in Israel and that's happened here. I mean, how often do you hear people talk about, you know, like they don't want to vote or they don't want to sit, you know, they don't want to register to vote because then they may be called for jury duty. And it's that lackadaisicalness yes. that sets in. Even the Swiss are going through that. They've had frequent national referendums on disbanding their universal conscription system. I, I don't think they've done away with it yet, uh, but they're trying to do that. Uh, they've been, uh, you know, having these frequent votes. And, you know, think, you know, uh, as a Christian, you know, I, I you know, as I read uh, the Bible, you even see it there with ancient Israel. They had the same issue under the period of judges. Men 20 and over were part of their militia Everyone. system. It was universal. Every single one. 
But when they went to the system of the kings, they disbanded that, and they specifically, the people specifically said when they were asking Samuel for a king, they said, we want a king that will go out and fight our like battles. Like all other you nations, see, and you are supposed to be unique and have it decentralized where you're led by a spiritual leader, not a king. You take yes. care of yourself, each man under his fig tree. I mean, that was the that was the point, and that's what I'm driving at here. Um, you, you have a lot on your plate dealing with the kind of conventional issues, the individual right. But, but And I know we, we talked about this, and I've talked about this a lot on the show, that we're reaching a point where both at the federal tyranny level and then at the anarchy level as well with the ubiquitous mass threats we face that – yeah, I mean, we're better off than we've ever been at the individual level, but we often, in order to bolster the reading of the Second Amendment to favor an individual right, we ignore the militia part of it, which is important that we need training and organization together, people coming together at a local level. I have my sheriff's posse idea, and I would love if your organization could maybe – I know your military is spread thin everywhere, but if you have some reservoir of resource to start working on this aspect, how we could take it to the next level because I think that ties into our previous discussion about the NFA and the weapons of war that it's like we've been running away from the argument. No, it's not weapons of war. They're semi-autos, and, and we're right. But I would argue, well, actually the founders wanted – that parity of force, um, both as a bulwark against tyranny, but also as, like you said, the first line of defense against, you know, unrest, whether it's domestic or foreign. And yeah, we need weapons of war. We need, we need, we, we can't go through these processes or sometimes you can't even get them. We do need, and at least in the appropriate training and brought under the color of law, do you, do you see any path to doing this in some red states? Well, I think it's going to take some leadership. I mean, certainly uh, education. And so, you know, we're doing that now and, and you're doing that, Daniel. Uh, we've at GOA, we've written some books on this as well uh, to talk about what our uh, founding system was and what the militia system is like and, and could be like. Uh, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, that's the first part of the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the yep. security of a free state. It wasn't just the guns. It was being well-regulated, which doesn't mean, by the way, passing <laughs> laws to control and restrict. Yeah, it's it, like general welfare. Well, it's like saying that general welfare means a welfare program. <laughs> exactly. It, yeah, it, it meant well-disciplined, well-practiced. Yes. And so uh, having education is important. I think it takes a good amount of leadership. And you mentioned some of the like uh, in, in Arizona, there, there are sheriffs who uh, are starting posses. We saw this under Reagan where – and sometimes it takes a crisis. And with Reagan, it was the Cold War, and he encouraged governors to start state defense forces. And so this was something separate from the state guard, mm. uh, but they were armed and they they trained regularly, and they were closer to that idea of – the actual Second Amendment militia. And from time to time, you know, again, I said sometimes it takes a crisis. You know, during the Civil Rights Movement, you had these ad hoc militias forming, and really they were being organized by the deacons uh, for defense. But this is something that Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice talks about. She talked about how her dad would arm himself and patrol her neighborhood at night when she was a kid, and he would do this with other dads on the block, and they did this because the Southern Police Departments were looking the other way when the yes. KKK would show up to terrorize their neighborhoods. And in one case, blacks had, had stockpiled military weapons, which were, of course, the, the so-called assault weapons of the day, but they used those rifles to shoot out more than 80 cars of Klansmen when they showed up to murder one of the leaders of the NAACP. So guns <laughs> were very useful in defending innocent lives. Uh, you know, and but also they were, organized, organized and they together. Were organized, Be yes. because we're facing the same thing. I literally wrote an article today how the Muslim Brotherhood and their umbrella organizations that are really behind a lot of these uh, mass, uh, you know, Hamas erection stuff. Um, they are the they are the KKK of of the day. They're going around intimidating areas, intimidating Jewish individuals, intimidating everyone. And, you know, especially you mix that with BLM and Antifa, 
you need an organized force. And my other observation that I keep saying from Israel is that there were, I don't know, you know, a few dozen communities around around that perimeter of Gaza there. And the common thread that I've seen is the ones that had a civil defense force that was organized, trained, and on hand at the time, maybe some of them lost one or two members in a shootout, but they didn't penetrate the community and, and, right. and no one else died. The ones that didn't, they went in there and just, you know, maybe, you know, a small amount had like a pistol here or there. Most had nothing, like you mentioned, and, and they were done. And and that's my concern. It's great that unlike Israel, we have a lot more people armed. We have, you know, you know, you could have one guy that has 10 rifles and 20 pistols, but when you have something like this hit the fan, which increasingly is likely at some point, you need a rel a well-regulated militia. And I I'd love to partner with that. But that that leads me to my, to my next point, my final point here, Eric. Um, and that is too often we focus on the gun. And we miss the forest from the trees. The The point of the gun is not to enjoy a gun. It is the right to self-defense. And what we're seeing everywhere, I just talked about the case in the New York subway. But let's face it, we had this in, in, in Texas, in Austin, with the case of Daniel uh, Perry, um, where, you, you know, yeah, you might have a gun and you might successfully defend yourself. But you don't have the right to self-defense because BLM could surround your car, belligerently, you know, threaten you in a way that we all know, you know, the lynchings that took place. By the way, that's another thing that started in Israel. They would drag people out of their cars and 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 rip them apart. And then we had the case mm. uh, in, in, in the L.A. riots. Um, What's his name? Denny. Uh, forgetting now. I'll never forget that. I was a little kid. Um, watching those images where they bashed his head with a with a brick, um, so we yes. have these vehicular. Um, yeah, the truck driver. The truck driver. Yeah, Reginald Denny. They, they, Reginald they, um, Denny. Yeah. They they uh, you know you have these uh, vehicular lynchings that are taking place. What could we do in red states to bolster laws in the legislative sessions coming up, so we don't have in the blue cities within the red states these you know, prosecutions? Well, I think uh, stand your ground laws, of course, have been a major help. And uh, I think now we're at somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 states or more that have stand your ground type protections, which basically, you know, it, it, it used to be uh, before this, uh, before these laws were passed in many jurisdictions, you had a duty to flee or retreat uh, when you were threatened. And, uh, you know, that that's not always the, the best. I mean, sometimes actually leaving an area can be the best, uh, but, you know, just avoid the fight altogether. Uh, but sometimes that's not uh, wise or recommended, or you just simply can't. And so stand your ground laws uh, have been very helpful in uh, protecting uh, people's rights in court after they use a firearm for self-defense. I, I would also recommend, and this is not something that's necessarily government-oriented, but more private-oriented. There's uh, organizations like USCCA, and, and there's a whole slew of organizations like them that uh, either provide some sort of insurance or protection. You pay a monthly fee, and then if you've ever, if you're ever in a self-defense shooting, uh, they will provide an attorney at no cost because you've you've got the the quote unquote insurance and some of these companies don't call it technically insurance but for the sake of argument that's kind of the the mindset is that you're being uh, you're being protected and you will be protected uh, in court so uh, I think it's uh, you know there, there's a lot of different uh, avenues. Uh, but you raise a, a good questions because uh, th there have been very tragic cases of people in you know who <laughs> who used firearms uh, in self defense and then uh, political politically motivated prosecutors yes. go after them. George Zimmerman was a classic example. Yeah. That but people but this might is remember. happening in red states, and you know people say, well, they're blue cities where you have Soros prosecutors. I understand that, but if, if, if Republicans control the legislature, th there sh it should be very clear what the laws are, that there's no avenue for them to come in, and I think that's something we really need to 
to look at. I know a couple states um, have been looking at the just the vehicular stuff. Um, and I know Florida had that as part of that. So, you know, you don't have to sit in and be surrounded like Lot's, like the mob around Lot's house and be dragged out of a car. You could floor the gas pedal. And if they don't get out of the way, that's their problem. Um, that's that's not you doing it. It's sort of like the, the Gaza civilian dynamic, you know, going on there. Right. And, um, and, and I know Florida has that as part of their, uh, you know, BLM rioting law that they pass. And I think we need that. Um, in other states, but uh, but because because what I'm finding is increasingly, I mean, if you're in a blue state, forget it, you're done. I mean, you could have the Bruin opinion that you could carry, and you can, but uh, you don't have a right to self defense. So you could carry it, just don't use it if your life is in danger. Um, that's kind of the message there. Uh, so this is this is you know obviously you guys are are really at the forefront. I appreciate it. Just to end off on a lighter note, um, I hate to put you on a spot, and I know you're going to get a lot of hate mail from this because inevitably <laughs> people are are going to be disappointed. But if I had to, you know, give you, put you on an island, and you have one pistol for carry self defense and one rifle for home defense, what would it be? <laughs> well, is this an island where I'm there by myself? Because uh, if it is, then I probably don't need it, right? <laughs> no, you got BLM and Hamas guys ro- oh. <laughs> roaming the perimeter. <laughs> well, then I, I want uh, a lot of ammunition if, if I if I'm uh, if I'm not there alone, and I do need to break. So you know, I uh, f- for years, you know, you, you buy into uh, one type of gun, and then you kind of stick with it. And so I love Glocks. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, that's, uh, my gun of choice. So I've got many around the house and Glock 43 is the, 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 the one that I carry. And then, uh, if it was, uh, for rifle defense, uh, the AR 15 is fantastic. You know, years and years ago, I think one the first rifle I bought was a shotgun because it was kind of that old school thinking that, yep. uh, which apparently Joe Biden still thinks that that was the best way to defend a home and, and, and I've realized since then that, uh, well, first of all, women don't really prefer uh, shotguns. It's a bit much for most, and it certainly yep. was for my wife, and she much uh, more yeah, prefers the AR-15. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So an AR and a Glock, Do, and do I'll you have a happy. favorite AR? <laughs> well, I, I've got a Bushmaster that was a pre-ban, and... And uh, it's uh, beautiful because it's kind of an A1 style and everybody who sees it goes, oh, you've got a retro. It's kind of <laughs> funny when you're old enough to be retro. That that makes you feel even older, Daniel. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, yeah, yeah no, I've got I, a retro. I'd love go, to go own ahead. that. Um, well, full disclosure, and, and no one's paying me to say this. I, I, I wish I would get them as an advertiser, but I am going to pick up. Uh, an IWI, Israeli weapons industry, uh, Zion 15. I'm telling you, for the price point, it's. I, I'm not going to tell you it's quite Bushmaster Daniel Defense, some of the better models, but it's close. And it's, you know, you can get it for under a thousand bucks. It's probably the best semi budget uh, version. And it's, you know, you're supporting Israel and America at once because it's made right here in, in, in uh, Pennsylvania, is where that model is made. American Jobs, but Israeli company. Um, so I will be picking that up. Um, but what, one of the problems we have again is the cost. Is there anything that you believe from a policy front that is impeding making ammo cheaper? So like if you want to shoot two, two, three, five, five, six, you're talking about more than double the price of full metal jacket, nine millimeter. Is there any, is there a reason for that? Uh, I don't know, Daniel. I mean, obviously, uh, if we had a true free market and didn't have restrictions or bans on uh, even foreign uh, ammunition, that would greatly affect the prices on on all ammunition. Uh, So uh, that that perhaps it could be part of the answer. uh, But outside of that, um, I don't know if there, what other factors uh, there are that, that would be inflating the prices other than just the fact that we have a president who uh, has done a great job of making 
all prices on everything rise. <laughs> so uh, ammo is certainly not going to get so, better with that. It's so, not going to buck that trend, but it's just like this is the right, reason why so I could give you a bunch of I could give you a bunch of economic uh, reasons yep. uh, for it, uh, but specific policy uh, oriented things towards ammo manufacturers i'm not i'm not aware of. because i'm i'm thinking i mean this is the reason why i i literally never got one all my long arms were always nine millimeter carbines just because i i felt that was more affordable and now i'm like really excited but i'm thinking oh my gosh um how do i afford this i mean it's it's right. pretty crazy too if you want to shoot it regularly i mean to, to buy a box of a thousand of them it's just you're talking about over 50 cents around uh, 55 cents around it's 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 bad so, um, I mean, that's again, but you're right when something is so heavily regulated and it becomes scarce and it's like, you know, the impression that they're going to be banned and it, it, it's part of it is making it very expensive and we need to make it more available and power. I would argue the government should fund, like you said, fund at least the organized, not, not rec recreational, but I mean, the organized militia, the government should fund that the state and local government that is. And that's something I look forward to working with you on. Again, uh, where could people find you individually on social media and uh, any other places where people should go? Well, on Twitter at Eric M. Pratt, and that's uh, Eric with a C-H, Eric M. Pratt. Uh, but uh, also I would encourage people to go to uh, our website at gunowners.org, and that's where you can sign up for membership. You can also sign up for our free email alerts, get involved in the fight, and again, uh, you know, we're we're not looking to make this difficult for people. We give uh, people pre-written language that they can tinker with or just send off to their elected representatives, and it makes a huge difference. When I go up on the Hill, I frequently hear things like, oh, you're from GOA, from Gun Owners of America. Your members are loud. And it's yep. not that they're necessarily physically calling in, but they're hearing from their constituents uh, because we're making it easy for them. So uh, that's a real important part of the fight uh, to preserving our liberties. So please do that, gunowners.org. Yeah, one of the few organizations that I've seen been around that long and hasn't gone sour on us. You usually have a 10-year shelf life on even a good organization, so keep it going. Um, I hope, uh, you know, if you can answer some emails from some of our listeners, we'll solicit back. You can email me, Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. Thank you, Eric, for joining us. Thank you all. We'll see you here, same time, same place on Monday. Have a terrific weekend.